Wake up, sleepyhead. Up and at em. It's a delightful day. There was a blustery blizzard last night, and there's fresh powder glistening everywhere. What a winter wonderland. Strap on your skis or snowboard and bundle up, because we are going to hit the slopes on this week's episode of FYI. Welcome to For Your Info. English. You got it. Amigos, and welcome to this, another exciting edition of FYI for your English, the podcast where you learn so much more than English. Well, at least I hope you learn so much more than just English. I know myself as the creator, the producer, uh, I have been learning so much about so many different topics. And as always, as listeners, I want to hear your feedback. I want to hear what you want to hear about. Tell me about topics that you want to see about in the future. And of course, we'd love to do them. We'd love to tackle every topic, I should say. I love that word, to tackle topics. Oh, ya estamos. I'm already on my double alliteration kick. Well, let's take a look at the intro. As you can tell by my voice, I am so excited to talk about today's topic. It is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Some of my greatest memories have been on a mountain. And careful with that word. Let's start right there. That word, mountain. Now, you can say mountain or you can say, como los americanos, si te sale, mountain. Mountain. So say this sentence. I always say, are you certain there's a fountain in the mountain? Okay. And if you can say those, that's that American glottal stop thing that we do. You know, it's kind of like a you're in the middle of a sound and you stop it. So mountain. But you can always say mountain. What you can't say is mountain. All right. So write it down however you hear it. That's my advice too. When you come across a pronunciation thing, Write down what you hear. Don't worry. I mean, you can learn the phonetic alphabet. It doesn't hurt. But if you write down what you hear, maybe that'll help you next time you need to pronounce the word. So mountain. And we're going to talk about the mountains. I not only did I grow up in the mountains, but I have some of my earliest memories playing in the snow and some of my more recent memories playing on glaciers. Yeah, glaciares. You heard me correctly. Playing on glaciers. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds like something from the uh, the age of the caveman, no, el cavernicola. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's take a look at this. Let's hit the mountains. To hit is ir hacia, ir en de- dirección. Let's hit the mountains today. So I said, wake up, sleepyhead. Sleepyhead means dormilón, and obviously, wake up is despiértate, which is a little bit different than get up right? Wake up is when you open your eyes and get up is when you stand up. It's a synonym. So what time do you get up and what time do you wake up? 
They don't have to have the same answer. I know a lot of people on weekends, they like to sleep in. To sleep in is to sleep longer than you should, but you can. It's okay. It's bad when you oversleep. When you oversleep, you sleep more than you should, but not on purpose. Okay, so you oversleep, and the sound at the beginning of the show was an alarm going off. Remember, sonar is to go off. You can say the alarm was ringing, but it would be much more common to say the alarm was going off. So I know it's a sound that people don't like to hear. Who wants to be woken up? Oh man, I know, I know. I'm a bit of a sleepy head myself. But uh, all right, then the next thing I said is up and atom. Up and atom. Now this is interesting because we never say at them, because the real expression is up and at them. Arriba y a por ellos, I think would be the literal translation. We say up and at them. Um es como pronunciamos muchas veces el them. Did you call them? Did you call them? Muchas veces en inglés americano. Nos comemos la TH. We, we don't say that TH and we say um, right? Uh, another example where we always say um is si no puedes con ellos, únete a ellos, which we say if you can't beat them, join them. And I, I have to say hardly ever, if not ever, have I heard anybody say them. Uh, same thing. In this one, it's up and atom, right? Up and atom. Arriba y a por ello. Vamos a conquistar el día. Let's conquer the day. Let's seize the day. Do you know this expression? To seize the day. Seize the day means carpe diem. And if you can't remember that, don't worry, because we also say carpe diem. And here I come with my double alliteration again. A delightful day. Oh, you can tell deliter, delitar. Is that, did I pronounce that right? Delitarse? I always mispronounce that in Spanish. Well, a delightful day. Oh, nothing like a delightful day. Not just the double alliteration, but who doesn't? like a delightful day. It just rolls off your tongue. Then I said there was a blustery blizzard. More alliteration. A blustery blizzard. And when I think of the word blustery, certain adjectives are associated with certain things. So I, I tell my students, when you think of mountains, think of majestic. When you think of scenery, think of picturesque, right? These are certain words that we use together. And blustery means windy and cold. It's almost like wintry. Eso es otra palabra, wintry. But I needed a B, so I said blustery. It's a great word. Uh, well, it's not great if you're in the middle of a blustery blizzard, but it's a great word to know. And a blizzard is a snowstorm. It's another way to say a snowstorm. And for any of you who have ever snowboarded or skied, well, you'll know that there's nothing like fresh powder. Oh, man, it is the greatest feeling after a snowstorm. I mean, you're sleeping, you're tucked in. To be tucked in is metidito en la cama. And you can you look out the window and you see that blizzard and you're thinking tomorrow's going to be great. There's going to be powder everywhere. And something about powder is it glistens. To glisten is to sparkle, to shine, brilla. It's a good word, glisten. 
And then I said, what a winter wonderland. Are you serious? Triple alliteration? Oh, I need help, guys. <laughs> what a winter wonderland. And it reminds me of that song. Walking in a winter wonderland. In the snow, you'll be laughing. I don't remember how the words go. We're happy today. We don't go away. Walking in a winter wonderland. So a wonderland is un sitio maravilloso de invierno, winter. And remember, we looked at that adjective already. To describe a day that is very cold and snowy, it's wintry wintry then i said strap on your skis now here i didn't want to you know if maybe you're a skier maybe you're a snowboarder you guys know me i'm a snowboarder and skiers don't worry i won't hold it against you <laughs> and remember the palos are not called sticks we call them ski poles ski poles and one thing that they both have in common skis and snowboards is they have bindings Right? And binding, I think you say fijación. And it's very interesting because it binds your foot to the snowboard or the ski. Lo ata. So it makes sense, this word. So I said strap on. Strap on is what we also say with our seatbelt as well. as um, What is the word? I think you say abrocha. Strap on your skis or snowboard. And remember, I've heard students say, uh, I want to go sky. Sky es el cielo. Okay, I want to go skiing or go snowboarding. So, eso dicho, no decimos, I want to make snow. I had students tell me, I'm going to make snow this weekend. I said, oh, you have snow cannons? You have, and they said, what? I said, well, that's how you make snow, unless you have a hose, una manguera. And they said, fabricar nieves to make snow. So he said, well, I'm going to do snow. And I'm like, that sounds like a weird fetish, and I think you're going to get cold if you know what I mean. So why don't you just go snowboarding or just use the verb. I'm, go I'm snowboarding this weekend. Pero es mucho más común, as you guys have seen many times, when we talk about activities, we add a go to it. So I'm going to go camping. I'm going to go snowboarding. I'm going to go skiing. Then I said bundle up. Now a bundle is un fardo, but this is a word that mom and dad, I just remember my parents and my grandparents saying it to me as a child. Bundle up. Abrigate, vamos. And uh, something that we always say in the States reminds me when we talk about bundling up is to layer up as well. Y eso es ponte capas. That's another. <laughs> We're going to talk about dressing properly as well because a lot of people, you know, they say, Alberto, how could you go? You go sit on a glacier all day uh, in the, you know, drinking beer. And of course, that's part of it too. We'll talk about aqua ski. Um, but, uh, but they say, you know, you're out there all day freezing. I'm like, freezing? I'm like, when I take off my, my snowboarding jacket or my coat, whatever I'm wearing, there is literally steam vapor coming off me because I'm sweating so much. So it's quite the opposite. If you're smart and you have the right gear, the right clothing, you'll usually end up sweating instead of freezing. So it's quite contrary to what many people think. Now, the problem is once you've gotten cold, once you let the cold in, you're screwed. All right, la cagaste por Lancaster. If you let the cold in, because once you get that cold in there, and if you're sweaty, sudado, ooh, we're talking about pneumonia over there or bronchitis or something you do not want. So bundle up and keep those zippers closed. 
You know, if you unzip it, you're going to let out that heat. Remember, we've got to keep our heat. That's just one of my personal tips throughout the years. I've just said, okay, well, I've got this heat now, this body heat, and I'm going to trap it in here under these layers so it doesn't get out. And in the end, I'm telling you, I usually, you know, when I would get undressed, desvestirse, when I went snowboarding, I would, I mean, my clothes were sweaty. They would have to go straight to the washing machine. Uh, so, uh, yes, different things that we talk about, of course, dressing right, the right gear, el equipo, we call it, we call it your gear. So you'll need a snowboard or skis, you'll need bindings, and you also need boots. And, of course, you'll need a ski resort unless you have uh, maybe a hill, una colina, behind your house, which I know people who have done that. But remember, ski lifts, telesillas, are very convenient, especially if you're going up to the top of a glacier at, you know, 3,000 feet above sea level. I I've been to glaciers. I was at a glacier called Aguile Rouge, which is over in France, in the French Alps. And in the second part, the bonus part of today's show, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about my experiences snowboarding all around the world from Vermont to, I'm looking for something in V in French, Les Tres Valets. Now, again, you guys are going to hear me pronounce a lot of French, miss, I should say mispronounce a lot of French words here. But uh, I'm going to share my experiences in the bonus part of today's show. And as I always tell you guys, if you're interested in getting the bonus part of today's show, plus the accompanying vocabulary and weekly and monthly classes with me, then consider becoming a patron. If you want more information, stop by patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso or give me a shout, dime algo, and I'll give you some more information as well as samples. Join our online community because it is growing every day and I've got to say, I really am a lucky teacher to have such um, motivated, driven students. I'm looking for the right word. There are so many great adjectives. So guys, join our curious community on patreon.com. I want to say thank you right now to all my patrons who make this show possible. And uh, well, I don't have time to shout you all, but uh, a nice shout out to my super duper students, Roberto, Jose Maria, Javier, Eva, Mila, Desiree, Alex, Patricio, Edgar, and Loles. And don't forget about my interstellar students, Diana, Pilar, Diego, and Carmen. If you want to find out more information about Patreon, drop me a line or stop by Patreon and take a look at all the different options. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who already have discovered Patreon. So are you ready to hit the slopes? As I said in the intro, we say to hit the slopes. The slopes, las pistas. Now, I want to clear something up. Today's show is about snow sports, and there are so many different kinds of snow sports out there, but we're going to focus on two of the biggest ones. They're almost like a rivalry of sorts, too, and we're going to talk a little bit about that snowboard-skier rivalry, which, well, it's been since the beginning, and as I always say, it makes things interesting. So, the most popular um, outdoor winter sports, outdoor, acuérdate, al aire libre, are skiing and really, let's be honest, alpine or downhill skiing because, yeah, people do moguls, I think las bachas, you say, or bañeras, I think my friends called them, moguls, or you have, you know, different kinds, cross-country skiing, 
But the most popular one, I think, the one that is done by skiers all over the world, is what we call downhill or alpine skiing, alpino, alpine, and snowboarding. But uh, let's not leave out, I mean, I'll mention a few right now, just because, you know, people are always coming up with new ideas and things to do in the snow. The last time I was on the slopes, I remember seeing a scooter and it's called snow scooting. That's right. It's like this scooter and it's got skis on the bottom and it looks like a lot of fun, but I got to say something. I would wipe out. To wipe out is, vamos, comer la nieve, caer, to fall down. I would definitely wipe out on that thing, but it looks like a lot of fun. And then there's ski touring. I mean, there's all there's new stuff coming all the time, uh, which is interesting. People are still experimenting, and they've been since the beginning. I mean, think of snowshoes, very popular, not just popular, but necessary in Alaska. That could be considered a, a snow sport as well if you're racing. Racing, haciendo carreras, or snowmobiles. Oh, man, those are fun, snowmobiles. Ho, 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 ho. Uh, you say motos de nieve? Those are dangerous but fun. Um, but I'll tell you something. On a snowboard, you can go really fast. I think my record was like 85 miles per hour. Now, I don't know in kilometers, but let's just put it this way. If you fall at 85 miles per hour, you are definitely going to break a bone or two. So, uh, yeah, but you know what? I've talked about it on past episodes. I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie. I'm always looking for a rush, un subidon. And, well, nothing better than a natural rush, the one you get from nature. And I think that's part of the attraction as well to uh, winter sports. You're outside. Uh, some of the most beautiful views I've ever seen, as I said, on the Aguilé Rouge uh, glacier and looking at Mont Blanc at uh, during après ski or you know I mean really really views that I don't think I would get any other way. Uh, thinking speaking of Sierra Nevada in Spain, you can see the Mediterranean Ocean from the top on a clear day. Uh, I think you can even see Africa. And let's not even talk about the view of Granada and the Alhambra. You are towering over the Alhambra. So, you know, it's the nature. It's doing sport thing. And it's also the fact that you're getting fresh air. And who doesn't want fresh air? And some of the sports we're talking about are quite expensive. Let's be honest. Snowboarding is costly. Whether you're renting or buying your equipment, it's costly. Skis, I mean, I've seen skis that cost upwards of $1,000. Upwards of is más que. And, uh, but you don't need to do this. We're going to focus on skiing and snowboarding. But, you know, we, you could skate. That's a, ice skating is a winter sport. Sledding. Uh, in fact, in the bonus part of the show, I'll tell you about uh, ice skating and sledding. Those are two winter sports that I did where I grew up. And uh, we used to skate. No, we didn't have an ice rink. Not in my town. We waited for the lakes to freeze over. And we played ice hockey. So remember, you know, we're talking about these expensive sports where you have to go get a ski pass, un forfait, a ski pass. But uh, you can also have fun for very little for peanuts. You can go buy a plastic sled, a sled is un trineo, and you can go down the hill behind your house. And as I said, I'm going to tell you about all the crazy things I did as a child. I remember making jumps, saltos, but uh, yeah, it's a miracle I'm here, guys. All right, so let's uh, let's split these in two, okay? Because they're 
they're done on the same mountain, but they're very different. You use different muscles. You have different injuries for skiers and snowboarders. So where did skiing begin? We, we know that at least uh, on the modern slopes, at the modern resorts, skiing came first. So where did it start? Well, we have to go to Norway. Remember, people from Norway are Norwegian. And the word ski comes from Old Norse. And it's a word, I'm, I don't know how to pronounce it. There's a weird thing. But the word is ski, which means a piece of wood. So again, it was primitive at first. And in the end, if you think about a snowboard, what is it? It's a lot of pieces of plywood layered with, you know, uh, all kinds of special high-tech stuff. I guess that's what makes it expensive. But when you really break it down, what is a board? Piénsalo, a board es una tabla. So it makes sense that the word ski comes from Old Norse, a Norwegian word for piece of wood. And some ancient carvings that were unearthed, we've looked at that word before, desenterrados, by archaeologists in Norway, suggested that skiing started many thousands of years ago. And when I say many thousands of years ago, they found a rock drawing. Uh, rock drawing is uh, on a, in a cave, right? And this was uh, dated back to 4,000 B.C. So people have been having fun in the snow and in the sun uh, since 4,000 B.C. And, uh, and modern skiing, you know, we got to make a distinction here. People standing on a piece of wood and what we know as skiing now. Well, modern skiing owes a lot to, uh, debe mucho a, right, a big debt, una deuda, to Sondren Norheim. Again, you'll have to forgive my Norwegian and French pronunciation. Uh, Sondren Norheim uh, from Telemark in Norway. And uh, they invented the Telemark bindings, las fijaciones, which gave skiers the ability to jump and turn. They didn't just have to go straight down the mountain. As I always say, you know, the hardest part is not skiing or snowboarding. It's stopping, <laughs> you know, controlling the thing. If you stand on the snowboard or the skis, you'll go down. It's called gravity. Ask Isaac Newton. He'll tell you all about it. And you know what? I know a lot of you guys are saying right now, you know what? It makes sense that uh, skiing was kind of invented in Norway. But what about Asia? Isn't Asia involved in everything? Well, guess what? Yes, there is evidence. They found evidence uh, that there were these tribes in the Altai Mountains between China, Mongolia, Kazakhstan, and Russia. And it seemed like they were practicing a, a form of skiing. Remember, uh, some of it is similar to modern skiing, but the idea uh, even earlier than the Scandinavians. So they found a wooden ski that is thought to be 8,000 years old. So that's 4,000 years older than uh, our amigos, our Nordic Scandinavian friends. And uh, so, yeah, there it is again, guys. <laughs> China, <laughs> everything comes from China. Because uh, just when you think, oh, we invented paella here in Valencia. Uh, I know I'm going to make a lot of enemies right now. I'm sure somebody in China was like, yeah, we've been making that rice for, for light years. <laughs> And now, you know, uh, skiing, we're talking about the sport aspect, but skiing, 
Um, you know, there's there so many other uses. Think about a mountain police who go and patrol mountains and they get around on skis. Think of soldiers. Uh, some of the battles, speaking of Russia, uh, out in, uh, in Russia were won because the Russians had skis. So the Germans went in there with their panzer tanks and their fancy tanks. And, you know, they said, we're going we're gonna to knock you guys out. And the Russians were just like, all right, well, we're just going to ski around you as you get stuck in the snow. So some people say that, you know, it was skis that stopped the Germans when they were in Russia. So, you know, uh, aside from being in the Olympics and all that, and we're going to look at the Olympic stuff too, when these became Olympic sports. So there's a little, some nuts and bolts, como decimos, algo básico sobre esquí, uh, the nuts and bolts, the bare bones, as we've looked at before. All right, so now let's talk about my dear snowboarding. Man, I, I'm just, the only thing I'm sorry, I'm sorry I didn't discover snowboarding sooner in my life. I think I started when I was 24, I took up snowboarding. To take up is hacer un nuevo hobby. We say to take up. And I discovered it and I really loved it. I loved zipping down the mountain and as I said, the view, the fresh air, the adrenaline rush, being with my friends. You know, sometimes it's snowing, but also sometimes you're sitting in the sun having a beer uh, after a totally, you know, after an 85 mile per hour run. A run, in este caso, es una bajada. So snowboarding, we got to go, okay, skiing 8,000 years, right? China. Well, 1965, not so distant future, uh, not so distant past, excuse me, uh, a guy named Sherman Poppin, okay, related to Mary Poppins. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sherman Poppin from Michigan made a snowboard for his daughter. And what did he, how did he make this snowboard? Pretty easy. He bound, we looked at that word before, binding, fijar. So fijo, he bound two skis together and he kind of created this skateboard without wheels or surfboard without wheels. And he called it a snurfer. You guys can take a look at this on the internet. There's something called the snurfer. Makes sense. It's a portmanteau of the word surf and snow. And I know in Spanish, you guys say, ah, este surfea. We don't say surfing. We call it snowboarding or riding también. Porque montas en la tabla. He's a rider. He's a snowboarder, right? So there were about a million snurfers, which isn't bad. But the United States, remember, over 300 million people. So, uh, you know, a million, that's, not, uh, that's kind of a little niche over there. It's not a big part of the population. And that snurfer is not exactly like a snowboard today. Uh, this one was steered, to steer es manejar, with a handheld rope, una cuerda que coges en la mano. Uh, there were no bindings, so good luck with that one. And for about 10 years, those sold, and, but it never became a craze. A craze es una sensación, una moda. Not until Jake Burton came on the scene. Now, this guy is the king of snowboarding. You probably recognize his last name. Burton, or you say Barton, which is very funny because that last name, we don't say Barton, we say Burton, Burton, all right? Y también como montaña, Burton, Burton, lo puedes hacer con el glottal, so, pero no es Barton, so it's not Tim Barton or Jake Barton, it's Jake Burton, Burton. And interesting thing about his, him, uh, not, aside from being the guy who invented the modern snowboard and, and popularized it, um, well, Jake Burton, his last name is Carpenter. Jake Burton Carpenter. 
So I think that would have been a cool name too, huh? Carpintero for a snowboard, something made of wood. But he went with Burton. And now the word Burton, his last name is synonymous with snowboarding. So snowboarding, the world of snowboarding owes a lot to this man who was born in New York in 1954 and died in Burlington, Vermont. I'm going to tell you guys about Vermont. It's uh, it's just one of the most important places uh, in the United States, definitely on the East Coast as far as skiing and snowboarding is concerned. So he passed away pretty recently in 2019, uh, November 20th. And I highly recommend, if you want to hear the story of how snowboarding got popular and and Jake Burton's story, uh, he's a visionary, really. Uh, listen, I recommend this podcast. I've recommended it before. It's called How I Built This, and it's with Guy Raz. Guy Raz is the host. He's fantastic, uh, just perfect host. He really knows how to make his guests feel good and the listeners and everybody. And uh, there's an episode uh, of How I Built This on Jake Burton, and I highly recommend it. It's great listening, and it's an inspiring story. Um, and uh, all right, so that's uh, snowboarding. We looked at snowboarding, skiing, the basics. As I said, we could talk about each one for years. There were tons of different breakthroughs, you know, when they started using different material and lightweight, and, you know, there's a lot of R&D involved. R&D is research and development, right? Uh, e mas de. So when did, uh, when did skiing become an Olympic sport? Because obviously it became an Olympic sport before snowboarding. Cross-country skiing has been a part of the Winter Olympics every year since the competition began in 1924. Uh, but alpine, or downhill skiing, the most popular one, it became an Olympic sport in 1936, so quite a bit later. And the first downhill race, downhill is Cuesta Abajo, uh, was decades later. That was 1879 in Sweden. So those were some firsts for skiing. 1924, cross country came on board. 1936, alpine downhill skiing. And in 1879, they had records of downhill races. So that's fun, but that's again, dangerous. I've done, if I have any technique, that's my technique, you know, full steam ahead or full speed ahead. A todo gas. And my friends and I, we always race each other, which of course, that's not too good because if one's a speed demon and the other's a speed demon, where does it end, right? A speed demon is alguien que le encanta la velocidad. And speaking of a speed demon, uh, someone comes to mind as far as snowboarding in the Olympics. Uh, now, the United States has dominated this event, but uh, now you're seeing Canada, you're seeing Japan with some truly amazing snowboarders. But uh, a lot is owed to the flying tomato, yeah, well, that's what that's what they call him. Uh, the flying tomato is Sean White, and he is an American snowboarder. And you know, like what Tony, I, I think of it like this: what Tony Hawk did for snowboarding, he did for snow uh, uh, skateboarding. Okay, I read Meliwaki. What Tony Hawk did for skateboarding, Sean White did for snowboarding. And you know what's interesting? They both do the other sport. Tony Hawk is a snowboarder, and um, the flying tomato, Sean White, is a skateboarder. I guess, you know, it's cool. And what do you do in the summer when, you know, uh, you can't snowboard? Well, you jump on your skateboard or you surf. Uh, it's not the same, but there are certain similarities. So 1998, 
is when uh, it made it into the Olympics, uh, 1998. Incredible. Uh, that was in Nagano, Japan. And now it's a very popular sport. The half pipe is popular because you literally see people flying through the air, twisting and turning through the air. Again, why do you think they call this guy the flying tomato? Well, because he flies like Michael Jordan and he's red. <laughs> he's a redhead and he's, he looks like he's always gotten too much sun. <laughs> well, maybe he's sweating. It's when, when you do four flips in the air off a half pipe, I'm sure you, you end up sweating. But he's got plenty of gold medals to show for it. So now I wanted to finish up here talking a little bit about the rivalry, la rivalidad, and my thoughts on it. And you know what? I know. I know that you guys had the mountain first. You know, I'm, I'm aware of that. I know that uh, snowboarding wasn't allowed on board until a lot later. In fact, uh, snowboarding was uh, banned in many, many places. Many resorts did not allow snowboarders. And this is uh, probably what led to the popularity of uh, snowboarding in Vermont because Vermont had one of the first areas that allowed snowboarders. So we weren't even allowed on the mountain for experimenting, for trying something new. They said, no, if you don't ski, this is not for you. And we said, but wait, we've got something else to do, another way to have fun on the mountain. And people are saying, no, no. And I think there's a big mountain. There's a lot of mountains. There are tons of resorts. And we can all share. As we say in English, share and share alike. Hay que compartir. And I think if we share the slopes and we respect each other, it doesn't matter what sport you do or even if you're just there sightseeing. Some people go up and they take the ski lift or the gondola just to take a look. Um, just think about it. When you look around, that we're all friends. And if we all get along, si todos nos llevamos bien, well, then we will all reap the benefits. And uh, so let's share, guys. I think we can share it. There's plenty of mountains for all of us. There are plenty of slopes for us to zip down and enjoy the wind whipping through our hair. All right. Well, guys, that's the end of today's show. Remember, there's a bonus part of today's show where we're going to talk a little bit about safety, uh, some of the gear that we need as well. We'll also talk about the Sherlock Holmes connection. What did Sherlock Holmes have to do with skiing? Also, we'll talk about the record for the fastest skier. Uh, yeah, he beat my record by quite a bit. Uh, we'll talk about that. And we're going to talk about some unheard of resorts. Insolito. Unheard of resorts in some places that are off the beaten path. Off the beaten path is por un camino menos recorrido. And as always, I'll tell you about my experiences uh, going down slopes all over the world and some of the coolest and funniest stories. All that and much more in the bonus part of today's FYI.